Chapter Two of A Boy Caruso. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Natalie Paula. A Boy Caruso by Alan Eric. Chapter Two. Heavy Weather. The Sargasso Sea. The gale continued until the end of the fourth day, and we were south of the deep blue waters of the Gulf Stream. When it abated somewhat, and though it continued to blow heavily, the sea was running more regularly, in long, even swells which made the motion of the bark less disagreeable, especially for me. The studding sails were taken in, and the wind was hauled, in order that the captain might be given an opportunity to determine our longitude. The captain found that we were not far off the course, and as the wind had blown mostly from the north and northeast and east, the sails were trimmed, and by sundown the wind veered around into the northwest and blew steadily, while the sea gradually subsided. We were now about two hundred miles to the eastward of Watling's Island, one of the Bahamas, also known as San Salvador, the first land in the New World discovered by Columbus. The stars shone bright, and the bark, rolling easily, ploughed the warm waters of the subtropic sea. I remained with Mr. Sargent long on the deck that night, watching the phosphorescence of the water, which in these latitudes is sometimes very brilliant. The morning dawned upon a tropic sea, for the bark had made good progress during the night, and we were well abreast of the larger islands of the Bahamas. The breeze was soft and balmy, and the ocean a deep, crystal blue, of a hue never seen except in these southern latitudes. This is owing partly to the remarkable reflection of the sky, but more to the extreme depth of the water. Myriads of flying fish rose in flocks from the water, and fluttered away on both sides of the ship, as the bark glided through the weeds of the Sargasso Sea. The Sargasso weed is a genus by itself, which, thrust away to the south by the mighty ocean currents, lies in a vast central pool, a great eddy between the Gulf Stream and the equatorial current, and here it revolves. It is ocean-born, and long ages have passed since it lost its habit growing on the rocky sea-bottom. Forever floating, it feeds among its branches whole families of crabs, cuttlefish, and mollusks, which, like the plant itself, are found in no other seas. The flying fish interested me greatly, for I had read much about them. I noticed that their flight was as perfect as that of some kinds of birds, and that it very closely resembled that of the swallow, in that it was a skimming, circling flight. I had read that the flying fish rarely leaves the water unless pursued by a shark or some other fish to which it is a prey, and that on leaving the water it does not really fly, but instead emerges from the water on an upward plane, enabling it to skim along for some distance. I had read also that the fish is unable to remain in the air only while its wings are wet. This latter statement is undoubtedly correct, but I observed that its flight was perfect. The fish, making use of its greatly elongated and highly developed pectoral fins as wings, I saw them flying singly and in flocks or schools, when they were not pursued by sharks, and I was thoroughly convinced that they actually did fly. They gyrated in the air exactly like swallows, and moved their wings very rapidly like birds. There seemed to be no limit to the length of their flight, for they would rise from beneath the boughs and fly away in a continuous line until lost to sight in the distance. Once, one dropped upon the deck in the night, and the cook broiled it, assuring us that his flesh was very delicate, much like that of a fresh-water perch, and indeed so it proved to be. The captain had taken a course much farther to the eastward than he would ordinarily. Usually, in going to the Guianas, the route is through the Bahama group, by way of the Crooked Island Channel, 
thence through the windward passage between cuba and haiti and across the caribbean sea by the east end of jamaica but mr sargent wished to go farther to the eastward so as to pass among the leeward islands perhaps landing there to await the return of the bark from the coast this plan could be followed without detriment as a little delay in reaching guiana was more likely to result in an improved market for the cargo this explains the unusual course of the ethelin hope End of chapter 2